We're going to break this text down into two primary parts. We're going to see, first of all, that Jesus condemns the sin of lust, and then we'll see the cure that Jesus provides for lust. At one time or another in our lives, we've all admired someone's physical appearance. But what does the Bible say about going beyond a brief, innocent glance? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and this is The Truth Pulpit with Don Green, founding pastor of Truth Community Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Today, as we continue in our series called The Truth About Sexual Sin, Don will share with us what Scripture has to say regarding lingering looks and more as he brings us part one of a message called Jesus on Lust. Don begins today's lesson here in the Truth Pulpit. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Our first point, Jesus condemns lust. You could ask the question, in God's eyes, who is an adulterer? In God's eyes, who is the one who violates marriage? And Jesus quotes the prevailing teaching at the time when he says in verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now that's a direct quotation from Exodus 20, 14. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus quotes that and sets it forth. And it's obvious that the Pharisees, whom he is refuting in this lengthy passage, had made this commandment known to their audience. We'll give them credit for that. But what they had done is that the Pharisees had conveniently restricted the definition of adultery to the physical act of sexual sin. And that, beloved, guts the law of God of its real force. Yes, Scripture says you shall not commit adultery in Exodus chapter 20. But as we've pointed out in the past, we won't turn there today, As you read on in the Ten Commandments, you find very quickly that the Tenth Commandment says, you shall not covet, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So that even in the Ten Commandments themselves, it makes clear that God is commanding against sinful desires, not simply sinful actions. And the fact that your life might be externally in compliance with a bare regulation is no indication, it's not the final word we should say. Let me restate that because that's important. The fact that you might be in external compliance with the command of God on the sin of adultery is no indication whatsoever that you've actually kept the commandment as God intends it. Jesus goes on to say that in verse 28, that God's command against adultery goes very much further And in words that search us all, in verse 28, he says, But I say to you, notice that Jesus speaks from his own authority, that Jesus says, I will interpret God's law for you, and I will give you an inerrant, definitive explanation of what it means. He does this by right of the prerogative of being the Son of God, that he can authoritatively interpret the law of God to the people of God. And he says in verse 28, look at it with me, He says, I say to you that everyone, no exceptions, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
Jesus here is, is contrasting his teaching with that which was promulgated by the Pharisees. The Pharisees would quote this commandment and speak about it in external terms to make it a standard that everyone could keep. Jesus takes that same commandment, interprets it, and shows that it's a commandment that everyone has broken. And so the outcome of the teaching is diametrically opposed. And when Jesus says here, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her, that word looks that he is using here is used with a verb tense that describes an ongoing look. It has the idea of someone who gazes with intent upon a woman in order to engage sexual desires in his mind. It's an ongoing look, not simply a, an inadvertent glance that says, oh, that woman is attractive or that man is, that man is handsome and then moves on to something else. Some have described it in the past as, as the second look that says, oh, that, that person is attractive. Let me take another look and gaze on that and start to cultivate desires in my mind and to stimulate my imagination about what could be. Jesus says that look is the purposeful gaze of adultery. It's a gaze. It's a look. It's a, it's a concentrated focus that says, I want to engage a sexual desire in my heart with what I'm doing with my eyes. What we said last time was is that, that marriage was a God-created ordinance in which a man and a woman would live together in a permanent, loving, intimate relationship with one another. God gave the institution of marriage to the human race, gave it to mankind for their blessing. And for the propagation not only of families, but that, that the sense of isolation that men and women have alone would be addressed and would be helped. It was a gift from God that not only served to provide comfort and companionship to individual men and women in the relationship, but also that it would become a picture of the relationship that Christ has to His bride, the church. And so we looked at all of that, and we saw that there was a great high sanctity to the institution of marriage that God established even before the fall of man. Now, as we have that in mind, we saw last time also that in order to protect the institution of marriage, to give a sense and to impose a, a reverence upon the institution, God's Punishment for the sin of adultery in the Old Testament was the death penalty. That, that the man and woman caught in adultery would be stoned to death. And by the, by the greatness of the penalty, you get a sense of the fearsome respect that is to be owed to the institution of marriage. We looked at all of that last time. I won't repeat it any further here. Now... That all helps you understand the significance of what's at stake here. We're going, to have, we're going to have two or three different streams of thought coming to form a, a large river that will impose and, and help us understand the significance of what Jesus is saying. Watch this. Because, I'm going to give you about three causal clauses here. Because marriage is a high institution given by God. Because God protects it with the death penalty, because your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, 
Because all of those things are true, now all of a sudden you have something of a perspective to understand why lust is such a serious sin. Because God requires worship from a pure heart. Because God looks on the human heart and says, how are you honoring me there in that place in that sanctuary of worship in the inner man where I see? Because all of those things are true, we ask the question, what is going on in a man's heart? And so, when a man or a woman engages in these lustful looks, these lustful desires, these preoccupations of fantasy and imagination in their mind and in their heart, well then, beloved, what's going on when that happens? We have to not simply view that in isolation. We have to view that in connection with everything that God says about marriage. What does it say about a man or a woman who longs for the act of adultery? What is it saying about them? And what is it saying about their heart? Well, one, it's saying, I want to violate the commandment of God here. It says, I don't mind that in my inner man there is sin and I am defiling in, my, in the inner sanctuary of my heart, the place where God created me to be most worship Him from my heart. Beloved, those lustful, adulterous desires are an attack on the institution of marriage itself. God has said, this institution shall be between one man and one woman, intimate within the bounds of that marriage commitment and respected by all. And a lustful desire says, I will violate that. I will puncture that. I will bring that down. I will defile it in my heart. It's an act of treason against the institution of marriage. It's an act of treason against the law of God. And so, despite what our culture conditions us to think, despite what virtually all marketing and advertising is designed to do as they stimulate your heart with lustful thoughts in order to connect, make the connection with their product that you would want to buy. Contrary to all of that, these things are not innocent. These are, these are matters of weighty violation of the law of God. And so, rightly do people from time to time ask in evangelistic encounters, what makes you think you're going to heaven? I'm a pretty good person. Have you ever committed adultery? Nope, never done that. I'm good enough. And yet the follow-up question becomes, have you ever looked on a woman to lust with your heart? Have you ever looked at a man? Have you ever fantasized about a man that was not your husband in a way that was inappropriate? Well, now that you put it like that, and you realize that, and you follow up and say, you see, my friend, that is a violation of the law of God. You are not the innocent person that you think you are. You are guilty and condemned by the very word of God for the sin of lust that's in your heart. Jesus condemns it. He couldn't be more clear. Look again at verse 28. Lest we think that the pastor is over-interpreting it, Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you want a biblical illustration, we could put it this way. When King David in 2 Samuel chapter 11 looked on Bathsheba and wanted her, he was already guilty 
of adultery from that lustful stare before they even brought her to him to consummate the act. He was on his roof. He saw her bathing. He had a desire that he did not mortify, and the adultery had already been committed before the act was consummated. You see, beloved, here is the issue. Here is where we need to come to grips with this matter. Lust reveals the direction of your heart. Lust tells you what you are like. When you are a lustful person, when you are engaging in the sin of lust, that desire is holding a mirror up to you and saying, this is what you are really like, no matter what any other man or woman thinks about you. This is how God sees you. And what God sees in a lustful heart is a heart that desires to violate his commandment against adultery, that wants to violate his institution of marriage, and wants to engage in that even if physically you know, you're not able to consummate the act. And beloved, here's the sad reality of it is, and I say this with sympathy and with sorrow for all of you, knowing that this is a common issue. Instead of a pure vessel where God is to be worshipped, your heart instead has become a perverse center of seeking what God has forbidden. Let that sink in. Who are you? Well, we're more than just what we do in our external man. We're more than simply our physical human flesh, aren't we? There is a visible, tangible component to our existence in our flesh, and there is an invisible spirit, there is an invisible aspect, there is an immaterial aspect to man, the material and the immaterial aspect of man. And it's more than the material man that matters to God. God looks at the heart and says, what goes on there? And what Christ says is that when adultery, when fornication is going on in the heart, that is what God sees. That is how God views the man or the woman. And the guilt before God is so great that it calls forth eternal judgment. These are matters of great import, aren't they? Why is the desire alone such a guilty act? It's a heartfelt assault on the order of God. It's a heartfelt assault on His holiness. It says, from my heart, I desire everything that God has forbidden and prescribed. That's why it is such a serious sin. Now, when you state the standard like that, beloved, you realize that God's standard is far higher than anything the Pharisees ever dreamed about. The Pharisees said, as long as you're physically pure, you're okay. Jesus comes and says, no, that's not the case. That's a lie. And we need to go to the issue of your heart. You see, God requires a heart virtue, not simply external compliance. And so what's going on in your heart and in your thoughts and in your desires matters before God and beloved state it this way, you are accountable to God for them. And as we're working out the implications of this, the implications are enormous. And beloved, they go beyond men. This is more than just a problem or an issue for men. Listen to what Arthur Pink said about this in a very searching passage from his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. 
I'll read it slowly to give it time to sink in, because this also goes to the issue of what our culture is like and how we need to be so separate from it. He said this, and I quote, If lustful looking be so grievous a sin, then those who dress and expose themselves with desires to be looked at and lusted after are not less, but even more guilty. In this matter, it is only too often the case that men sin, but women tempt them to do so. He goes on to say, How great, then, must be the guilt of the great majority of modern misses, ladies, who deliberately seek to arouse the sexual passions of our young men. And how much greater still is the guilt of most of their mothers for allowing them to become lascivious temptresses. End quote. You see, God establishes this realm of purity, and it's not simply a man's desire that violates it. It's the woman who invites the man to lust in that manner, who goes out of her way to call attention to herself with the physical beauty that God has given to her and says, I'll put it on display. And for those of us that are parents, we have a responsibility to teach and to train our children not to live that way, not to be carnal and sensual, even in the way they present themselves. That is because Jesus condemns the sin of lust. And to entice others into that sin is as guilty as committing the sin itself. And so we realize that the implications of this go absolutely everywhere. And well might the sun in darkness hide itself. Well might we hang our head in shame as we realize God's word convicts us in this way. Now, beloved, we're at a really important pivot point in what I'm teaching and what Jesus is saying. We're at a, we're at a crucial pivot point for what I'm about to say. This all is convicting, isn't it? And it sounds very strict. And it is strict. God means what he says. And Jesus teaches for keeps. And, and here's, here's the deal. <laughs> this, this, goes, this goes beyond today's message. This goes, right now you're at a pivot point for how you will respond to the word of God. If that sounds strict and convicting, beloved, I beg you, don't resist it, don't reject it, don't put your fingers in your ears on that account. When the doctor comes and tells you, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have terminal cancer, the doctor is not hurting you when he says that. The doctor is not, is not uh, violating your sense of well-being with that. He's simply telling you the truth. Well, when God's word convicts us, and, and, you know, in a room of this size, there's just bound to be a number of people who want to respond this way, who says, I don't care, I'm not listening. I don't care, I'm not going to take this seriously. This is always, I mean, this is, this is, <laughs> this is the nature of pastoral ministry to have people respond to God's word in that way. To say, you can see it happening in their hearts and in their lives. This is starting to convict me. I'm out of here. 
rather than running away from it or ignoring it or hardening and stiffening your neck against it is not the way to your spiritual blessing. That's not good. Why would you do that? In fact, to harden your heart against Jesus' teaching here only multiplies your guilt, only multiplies the sinfulness of your, of your heart to say, not only have I heard what Christ says, I reject it so that I can continue on, either to justify myself or because I don't want to change. You see, when we say Jesus condemns lust, we realize we're making a very far-reaching statement that is right there on the surface of Scripture to be made. And then the question becomes, so what are you going to do with that? And beloved, I beg you to soften your heart. I beg you to humble yourself before God and say, God, now that you have convicted me, I will not run. Instead, I ask you, what must I do now? What must I do for some? What must I do to be saved? Because I realize that my whole heart, the whole orientation of my life has been engulfed in this sin and I haven't even rejected it, resisted it, or hated it. I like it that way. But now I see that Jesus says, this is a lust that will carry me all the way to hell. What do I do? So if all of this sounds strict, beloved, don't resist it. Just at this point in your life... My brother and my sister in Christ, my friend who may be visiting here for the first time and you're hearing things that sound different to your ears, just do this one little thing at this point in the message. Just take the message of Christ seriously. Take it earnestly. Receive it as someone who needs to learn, who needs to hear, who has to give an ear to this, to realize that when Jesus Christ speaks in his word, he speaks with authority over your soul. It is his prerogative to speak this way to us. It is the prerogative of the creator to speak to the creature and say, this is what I require. So we need to take it seriously. And what motivates you to do so? What gives you the strength to lend an ear to that which convicts you of guilt is this. It is, the, it is the certain knowledge that Jesus Christ intends your good in what he says. Christ intends good for us when he convicts us in this way. Christ intends to bless us, to, to bring us out of the muck, to bring us out of the danger of judgment, to deliver us. Just as the physician who says, you have cancer, but I have a cure for that which ails you. Well, Jesus does that in that same approach as we continue on in the passage and come to our second point, which is Jesus' cure for lust. His cure for lust. We saw that he condemns it. But in the gracious nature of his wonderful saving person, he doesn't leave us there. Jesus has exposed the standard. He has defined what the standard of God is, recognizing, obviously, in his omniscience that that's going to create great conviction of guilt. Now Jesus explains how to deal with that sin. How is it that you deal with the sin of lust? And for that, we go back to our text and look at verse 29. In verse 29, Jesus says, If your right eye makes you stumble, 
tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Indeed, with all the news these days about vaccines and treatments for bodily illnesses, it's so good to know that our great physician has provided a cure for this most insidious of ailments. We hope that today's message has blessed you and that you'll plan now to be with us next time for the final powerful message in this series, The Truth About Sexual Sin, here on The Truth Pulpit. But right now, Pastor Don, what would you say to the person who may be feeling shaken up or insecure about their eternal destiny after listening to today's message? Are your sins forgiven? Have you taken your sins to the cross of Jesus Christ and asked him to cleanse you with his shed blood. A pastor from long ago that I respect put it this way. He said that your sins have either been laid on Christ or you still have them as your own. And my Christian friend, if Christ has delivered you from sin and hell, it is well with your soul. And if you don't know Christ in the way of which I'm speaking here today, let me just tell you this. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. My unsaved, unbelieving friend, maybe you've been a hypocrite for many years. I just want to promise you this based on God's word. Jesus Christ offers you free forgiveness of all your sins if you will come to him in a humble, repentant faith. You can receive Him as your Lord and Savior and rest in Him to be the one to carry you safely to heaven. Thanks, Don. And friend, if you'd like to find out more about this ministry, just go to thetruthpulpit.com. That's thetruthpulpit.com. I'm Bill Wright, and we look forward to our next time together with you in God's Word here on The Truth Pulpit.